you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, uh, if you could stand uh, in Luke chapter 5, and I'll read the first 11 verses. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet, Jesus' knees, and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Would you pray with me? Lord, I ask that the anointing of your Holy Spirit would flow through me now as I speak. What I should say, may that be said. What should be deleted, may that be deleted. And I would pray that the presence of your Holy Spirit would rest upon each heart here this morning. I don't know what each person needs, but I do know, Lord, that every one of us needs to have an encounter with Jesus. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You walked on this earth, Lord, for 33 years, revealing the Father, doing miracles, setting captives free, going and dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the dead. Lord, you're seated at the right hand of the Father, and Lord Jesus, we anticipate your return. We anticipate seeing you face to face. And in the meantime, we ask that your Holy Spirit would sustain us and strengthen us. Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Help us not to let anger or bitterness our worry, our fear, our things of the world creep in and cloud our vision of Jesus. May we encounter you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know what happened in your life when you first uh, encountered Jesus. Maybe you were sitting in a Sunday school class. Maybe you went to a 
evangelistic crusade, maybe a friend just quietly shared with you the gospel over a cup of coffee. But by faith, the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus invades those kind of encounters. Be they simple, be they dramatic, be there at a time of real crisis, uh, whatever the case may be, what every one of us needs uh, is an encounter with Jesus every day, every minute, every hour to walk with him. And Jesus says that apart from him, we can do nothing. It's a pretty dramatic statement. Uh, If we take that seriously, it really makes us look at our daily tasks, our daily duties, whatever they may be, uh, very seriously uh, and very comprehensively. Apart from Jesus, uh, we can do nothing. In a moment, we're going to look more closely at uh, uh, what happened to Peter when he encountered Jesus. But I saw this video this week. Um, Maybe you've seen the television show Friends. Uh, I've watched a little bit of it here and there over the years, Uh, not a whole lot. But apparently this show began in 19... uh, Friends, friends. My wife is... It's so good my wife speaks up. I didn't mean to say friends. I meant to say Frasier. Frasier. That helps a little bit, doesn't it? Lord Jesus, help me. I meant to say Frasier. F-R-A-Z-I-E-R. Lest there be any confusion. Anyways, I guess Cheers came out, and I guess Frasier was a spinoff from Cheers uh, and uh, started in uh, 1994, I believe, or 1993, and went for 11 years and won 27 Emmys and did very well, I suppose, in the sitcom comedy uh, genre of television uh, viewing. But I saw Kelsey Grammer, the lead uh, actor in that, uh, on a video recently, And uh, there's a movie coming out this week called Jesus Revolution. And it's about uh, Chuck Smith and the beginning of Calvary Chapel and uh, the Jesus movement and all those kind of things. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. And I hope uh, we can get it in Medford and Mount Shasta uh, soon. But anyways, Kelsey Grammer plays Chuck Smith. And uh, I I want you to watch this video. Caitlin's pulled it up for us because... I believe, and I don't know anything about Kelsey Grammer's spiritual journey, but I believe that uh, uh, he's having an encounter with Jesus in some way. One of the interviews I did uh, see about Kelsey Grammer, he shared that he grew up in a Christian scientist uh, gathering in Florida, and uh, um, they've got all kinds of wacky ideas, and Uh, Lord bless him, but uh, I wouldn't call it a Bible-believing gathering that he grew up with. But apparently, uh, God is doing something in that movie and will do something through that movie. And uh, I I find it interesting. uh, Sometimes I find people apologizing when they tear up about something. And I had an old pastor tell me years ago, when tears come, the Holy Spirit's doing something. So just let him do it. Don't apologize, don't quench it, don't push it down. Just, uh, I've had people uh, in my office for a long, long time and people tear up and they tell me about something that they've been through and I just always say, the Holy Spirit's working. 
Just let him work. Encountering Jesus. I've been reading some reports about a revival that's beginning in Asbury uh, College in Wilmore, Kentucky. And uh, on February 8th, the students gathered at Asbury uh, there and had their morning chapel. And uh, they got to the end of the chapel service and nobody left. When I was in Bible college and chapel ended, I, I wanted to go get a donut. Uh, as I suppose many young people would. But the chapel ended and the music kept playing and the students didn't leave. And uh, uh, this, I'm gonna call it a revival, many are. Uh, students were gathering at the front and uh, uh, one commentator said, this revival seems to be characterized by three things, prayer, worship, and repentance. I have become a student of revival over the years because I love to read accounts where God is working, where lives are being changed, where relationships are being restored, where something is happening in people's hearts. Do you know you could come to church every Sunday from 10 to 11.30 and go home and have nothing happen? I don't like that. I wish that wasn't the case. Uh, but that can sometimes happen. You can come to church and hear a sermon and sing some songs and say that's nice and go home unchanged. For some reason, there has to be a human response something inside, shall we say, of desperation or of need or of hunger. That's why many times God works in the times when crisis hits and we are hungry for God and nothing is working, all the doors are closed, and there's no human solution. And that's when there's a hunger that happens. And I don't know what it is about our Heavenly Father, but when we get hungry and we get desperate, he responds. Amen. And I've seen it happen in my own life. I've been a pastor for 30 years and I've had my back against the wall with some situations that I had no answer for, didn't know what to do. And in that moment of desperation and crying out to God and hunger, the presence of God came and did something restored something, maybe didn't change the situation, but did something of change in me. And that's really what revival is about. Circumstances don't always change. The finances don't change. Your relatives probably won't change. But something inside of you will change. And in the history of revivals that I have read, the title of one book I had have in my office is called Days of Heaven on Earth. We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The reign and rule of God coming to earth, changing hearts, changing lives, revealing himself, changing something in us. I hope that what's happening in Asbury happens here. And if God should move in such a way, which I pray for and I hope you pray for, 
What will always impede that is the desire for human control and fear that would hit all of us. What's happening? What are we going to do? This is outside the box. This doesn't fit with our Sunday morning schedule between 10 and 11.30. Friends, those students are still gathering at Asbury Seminary since February 8th. It's going on some two and a half weeks now. Because when the Holy Spirit is doing something, you don't care what time it is. Let me say that again. When the Holy Spirit is doing something, you don't care what time it is. Because something supernatural is happening and you can experience that. And you see life differently. You don't see it through your cell phone or your daytime or your schedule or you know, what's coming next. There is something supernatural happening that is of God and hearts are changing. Okay? And when hearts are changed and the presence of God is doing something, you will never look at life the same way again. It ruins you for ordinary life. Okay? What do I mean by that? Ordinary life, you get up, you have breakfast, you go to work, you pay your bills, you come home, you cut the grass, you do all the ordinary stuff, which is fine. Okay? God's in all those things. But the challenge of Scripture, and I think it's Peter's challenge, and we see it here as he encounters Jesus, is will you look at life through a God-filtered lens, through a Jesus-filtered lens, through a Holy Spirit-filtered lens, and say, Father, what are you doing in this situation? How would you have me respond? And most of all, what are you doing? That's why Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus was intimately connected with the Father as he walked around on the earth. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. The Father's heart is to save every lost soul on the planet. Amen. And the presence of God in Acts 2 was poured out on all flesh, all over the earth. The Holy Spirit's working in the darkest, messiest, ugliest, wretchedest of situations. The presence of God is right there working. Okay? Look, if you would, at your Bible there in Luke chapter 5. Okay? It starts off in verse 1 there. Lake Gennesaret is another word for the Sea of Galilee. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. This is a topic we could study for hours and days, but I'm just going to say it with this phrase there, that when we say the word of God, we're saying a multifaceted reality, okay? Jesus is the word made flesh, okay? He is speaking the word of God, and people are listening as they crowd around. And on your outline there, God's word at creation. If you notice in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, it says, God said... And light was created and planets were created. And each time God spoke God's word, okay, something creative, dynamic, okay, happened in each of those situations, okay? So God's word is at creation there. The Hebrews, the second line, held God's word in high regard. 
If you want to look in Psalms 119 this afternoon, you'll find 178 occurrences of word, statute, decrees, laws, commands. 178 times. Because the Hebrews, and at that time they only had the first five books of the Old Testament, held the word of God in high regard. Okay? I've told you the story of taking care of my grandpa the last two years of his life in the Bay Area, missionary in Vietnam for 50 years. One time I came into his room at night, we were living in the same house, and he wasn't much of a housekeeper, and I started picking things up, and I kind of chastised him for the mess in his room. And I picked up his Bible and put it on one counter, and I picked up his shirt and put it up on top of the counter, and he was in his 90s, and he popped up out of the bed like an Olympic gymnast, grabbed the shirt, threw it on the ground, and looked at me and said, don't ever put anything on top of the Word of God. Amen. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and to this day, I can't put something on top of my Bible because he highly regarded the Word of God. Why do we take 30, 40 minutes every Sunday to go through this? Because we believe this is the Word of God. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you will feed on this daily, it'll change your life. I've been in church all my life. There's been times that the Word of God has bored me. But the older I've gotten, the more I realize this is the Word of God. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. The biggest thing that every one of us needs is a change of heart. We don't need to change of our income. We don't need to change of our appearance. We don't need to change of our hair. We don't need to change of anything except our hearts. And that's why Hebrews 4 says, The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Every person that's addicted to something has a frozen part of their mind that's stuck and believes I have to have that substance or I can't live. If you're stuck in anger, fear, worry, any kind of addiction, there's something in your mind that's frozen and needs to be liberated by the word of God. And you can take the word of God and apply it to your heart and see where your mind is stuck and apply 2 Corinthians 10, where Paul says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. That's a lot of thoughts. How many thoughts do you think a day? Endless. But you have to vigilantly guard your heart and your mind and your thoughts. And when something is there that is not in agreement with this book, you've got to stop it. You've got to arrest it. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. You've got to do it for yourself. And you've got to take the word of God and stick it there and say, Lord, I believe this, not this thought that is dragging me in this direction. Why many years ago I told you I memorized Colossians 3 with a Bible study group of guys. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. Friends, that's the biggest battle every one of us have is dying. Your flesh, your will, what you want, your agenda, 
your plans. Friends, when you came to Christ, you were crucified with Christ. We don't always walk in that. But as I told the Rockside guys this past week at a Bible study, it's a way better plan to be a slave to Jesus than to be a slave to sin. Amen. Sin will kill you. It'll destroy you. It'll wreck your family. It'll wreck your life. It'll wreck your relationships. It wrecks everything. You repent of sin. You're crucified with Christ. You're joined with Christ. You walk with Christ. He is your life. Jesus, I need you every moment. Okay, that's what it is to be crucified with Christ and surrender to him. Jesus, third blank there, Jesus was the word made flesh. Okay, that's John 1.1 1, 1, and also uh, verse 14, if you would write that in there and read it this afternoon. And the last one there is God's word is alive. Okay, these are pages on a book, in a book. Okay, you could use it for a doorstop if you wanted. But if you open it with the eyes of faith saying, Lord, show me what I need from here. Okay, today, feed my spirit, feed my mind, change the way I think. Uh, God will use it to do something in your life. Look at this next uh, section here in verse five, uh, four. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, that Simon Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Okay, and here's Simon's response, Simon Peter. Master, I like it that he begins with master. He's got something right. We bust on Peter a lot, okay? I will say he at least dove in and did something. Okay? Don't bust on Peter too much. Okay? He dove in with both feet. Sometimes he shoved his foot in his mouth. Okay, but he did something. He was moving, okay? Failed many times, as all of us do, okay? But here he starts it off with the word master. That's good. Verse 5, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Peter called Jesus master. Started off right. Second part, he got a little off base because he listed two objections. Peter stated two objections. You're my master, but this is why this isn't going to work. Don't raise your hand, but you ever do that with Jesus? <laughs> Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, you're the king of kings. Uh, but Lord, this isn't going to work. It's kind of a double-minded thing. And you could read James 1 this afternoon yourself, but it talks there about asking for God something. And rather than having a whole heart and a full heart of faith, okay, you're filled with doubts. You're double-minded. Your head's going in two different directions at the same time. It's the definition of insanity. Okay? Don't let your hearts grab away with you. And that's why Proverbs said, lean not on your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him. Okay? Some of us folks are nut and bolts, common sense, down-to-earth people, and we kind of pride ourselves on that. And friends, if you don't get past that and move into the realm of faith, believing God, okay? And some of you are going to walk in and say, but Drew, the facts are this. Remember that old detective show, Dragnet? I'm really dating myself. It's a long time ago, I know. But Jack Webb would go into a place where there had been a crime, and he would say, just give me the facts, man, nothing but the facts. Facts are fine, friends. But we have a God here that says he does impossible things that defy facts. 
Now, Peter lists these two objections up to the Lord, okay? And those two objections are right there in verse 5. We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. He's got two statements there. We worked hard all night. Lord, I did everything I could do. There's nothing more to do. I've done it all. I've worked hard. Friends, be careful of the pride that is connected with hard work. Many times we work really hard and we think it's some kind of credential on our shoulders that gets us to the place like we can tell God something. Jesus has this crazy phrase about becoming as a little child. Why does crisis change our lives? Because it has nothing to do with our hard work and our hard work does nothing to change the situation. It's completely out of our control and there's nothing we can do except cry out to God. And that's a good place to be. So two objections. We've worked hard all night. And the second one, we've caught nothing. The facts do not subscribe with what you're telling me to do, Jesus. It's not going to work. I've seen it. I've done it. I've worked hard. There's nothing. That, okay. But then Peter lands on the right side again. I've been busting on him here, but he lands on the right side again. But because you say so, and you could underline you say so, I will let down uh, the nets. In the end, third blank in that next section, in the end, Peter obeyed. Okay, good. Peter struggled to obey by faith uh, or rely. Somehow that sentence didn't come out quite right. But write the word understanding there. Proverbs 3, 5. Okay. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. This comes up on trustee boards, elder boards, church boards all the time. These are the facts of things. This is the way we understand it. But we're praying and asking for something to impossible, uh, uh, God, you to do something impossible. I don't have the answer how those two fit together. I don't know. Obviously, we have thoughts. We have brains. We think things through. We, we do our best. But if we forget this component of the power of God, the presence of God, the miracle working uh, power of who he is, of what this book says, we're going to miss something. And I would encourage you and us and me, let's not forget the supernatural component of this God who we say does miracles. I read these things and I say, Lord, you did it then, would you do it now? We see this happening here. Would you set captives free? Would you open the eyes of the blind? Would you release the oppressed? Would you reveal yourself in time and space right here? The third section there. I find Peter's response very interesting. When they had done so, verse 6, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. So Peter has an encounter with Jesus. We began it by talking about Kelsey Grammer. I don't know again where he's at in his spiritual journey. I believe something is coming through that movie by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he is encountering Jesus. 
okay? When you encounter the divine, something happens in your person, okay? When I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit many years ago uh, on the East Coast, actually in Canada, okay, I was at some revival meetings and the Lord was doing something amazing. For weeks, if not months after that, all I sang every day was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And you would say, well, Drew, what are you doing, vacation Bible school? I mean, come on, we all know that song. For some reason, I have come to determine in my own life, I needed to know that Jesus loved me just because that's the way Jesus is, not because of what I do. And many pastors fall into this, okay? We do things for the church, we help people, we preach, we're a pastor, blah, blah, blah. And somehow this insidious thought comes in, at least it did for me, Jesus loves me because of what I'm doing. And Jesus had to eradicate that thinking. And he said to me, Drew, I love you just because that's the way I am. It's just his nature. It's not a risk-reward equation like you're working for an insurance company. It's not do this and I will give you this. It's he just loves you because that's the way he is. Friends, that thought has absolutely revolutionized my life the last 25 years. I can fail. I can make a mistake. I can handle a conversation with my wife in not a very Christ-like fashion. And I can come away from that and think, okay, Lord, it's not a matter that you don't love me now because I failed. You still love me. Yeah, I need to handle this differently. I need to confess, uh, whatever. But your love never fails, never ends. Do you know how many people I've talked to about the last 30 years that have done something bad way in the past and 30 years ago, and they are punishing themselves about it today? They don't realize how phenomenal and amazing the grace and the love of God is. And when you begin to see that, and better yet, experience it in your emotions, your heart. Friends, it's nothing less than life-changing. The unfailing, endless love of God. So Peter has this encounter with Jesus here, okay? And his reaction is what? Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. So he began with master in verse 4, cited these two objections to putting the nets out again, landed on the right side of the things and obeyed. And now he's had an encounter with Jesus' uh, uh, recreative miracle working power. There's no fish and now there's two boatfuls of fish. And, and what does he say? Kurios, Lord. He's going to another level of recognition of who Jesus is. Can I tell you something? We need to go to a higher level of a recognition of who Jesus is. Okay? Philippians says that the knee, every, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If we lift up Jesus, he will draw all people to himself. Amen. Friends, it's all about Jesus. Encountering Jesus, experiencing Jesus, testifying about Jesus. I think Kelsey Grammer is going to have an encounter with Jesus and get saved. 
He said in one of the interviews, uh, you know, and he's done like 10 years of Frasier, okay, not Friends, Frasier, okay? Uh, and, and he said, you know, I wanted to do a movie that had some value. No doubt's made a fortune from Frasier all these years and looks back on it and says, I want to do a movie that has value. What's happening? He's encountering something authentic and real of the presence of God. Okay? Jesus is working. Okay? So Peter's response, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Look at your third section there on your outline, encountering the holiness of God. Peter said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. You encounter Jesus, and there's a recognition of yourself and what is going on in you that needs to change. Okay? Next blank. I want to give you this kind of an encounter from the, from the uh, broader pages of Scripture. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Keep your finger there in Luke 4, and, uh, or Luke 5, and go back to Exodus 3 for a moment and see what it says. Exodus chapter 3, familiar story, but please follow along. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire. Okay, so you've got the angel of the Lord, okay, a spiritual reality that we can't see, and yet he manifests himself in a physical reality of fire so that Moses can see it, okay? Moses saw, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. The presence of God does not need an organic uh, fuel to survive. The presence of God doesn't need you or me. Believe it or not, the Holy Spirit doesn't need coffee. Some people were having a heart attack this morning because we have no coffee today. I was right in line with you. But I made some earlier this morning, so I guess we'll get through the day. Holy Spirit doesn't need this building. Holy Spirit doesn't need these chairs. Holy Spirit doesn't need anything. All the Holy Spirit is looking for a heart that's hungry for him. That's why God uses crisis, problems, difficulties. We come to the end of our own strength and we cry out to God. And that's where we need to live all the time. Look what it says next. So Moses thought, I will go over there and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. I see flames. It's not burning up. This doesn't add up. This doesn't make objective sense. Okay? And it goes on. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. The presence of God comes. Okay? You don't determine it to be holy, but it gets holy when the presence of God is there. And then we have this instruction from the Lord to remove uh, his shoes. Verse 6, then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
So God's voice connects himself with the historical reality going back generations of those who have worshipped him. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of these ones recognized the Holy One of Israel, okay, and worshipped him. So this voice is connecting and saying, you know what, this isn't just a a one-time anomaly that's happening here. This is what's been going on for a long time. Then what does he say next? At the end of verse 6, at this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I think a similar response to Peter saying, go away from me, I'm a sinful man. And we see this many times throughout the scriptures. The next blank there in your outline, the Israelites trembled with fear and stayed at a distance. We won't turn there, but in that encounter, okay, God was revealing himself with smoke and fire on Mount Sinai. The people were afraid, okay? And they said to Moses, you go talk to him. We don't want to because we'll die. Similar response. Friends, do you know you're never going to domesticate God? And we would do well to stop living that way. It's really what the fear of the Lord is recognizing who God is, okay, and then walking in a fear and a regard and a holiness, recognizing who he is, recognizing what he has done, and living accordingly. And if you haven't read the book of Proverbs lately, I would encourage you to do that. It's all about wisdom and foolishness and walking in the fear of the Lord, okay? Look at your outline there. The last one that we've read many times, Isaiah has a vision of heaven and says, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. Friends, when you encounter God, when you encounter Jesus, when you're in that situation where God is doing something supernatural, you can't help but look at yourself. Now, there are times in our world which is so bitter and caustic and all kinds of nonsense being sputtered on every side. You can say something about Jesus in some settings and people will scoff or they will mock or they'll say that's a bunch of nonsense. They'll have all kinds of quick reactions, okay, to basically say, that's baloney, I'm doing fine, I don't need God. But as I've said to you before, in my experience as a pastor, I've tried to share the gospel with people in some settings, and they've said, hey, that's fine, Drew, but I'm not interested. And I've run into the same people in hospital beds five and ten years later, where they are on their back and dying of something, and they would say, hey, preacher, come help me. Because again, the walls are coming down of human self-sufficiency, and people are realizing I need God. I can't fix this by myself. They are suddenly recognizing the illusions about their uh, self-sufficiency and independence are all nonsense. They're all lies. They don't work. And that's why God works in those kinds of situations. The last section there, I've entitled this Approaching God because I really think this is what this all comes down to. The book of Hebrews says, come to God with boldness. Why? Because the price is paid. Do we confess sin? Do we walk in the fear of the Lord? Do we walk in wisdom as opposed to foolishness? Of course. Okay? 
But we have this amazing, phenomenal, uh, cosmos-transforming reality that the eternal God of the universe let his son die in our place so we could have forgiveness of sins, so we could be rejoined with him, so we can walk in a closeness and a companionship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is a reality that we can have in Christ. Blank there, confession is integral to beginning and sustaining the Christian life. If you thought that, uh, 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 you know, you just confessed your sins when you first got born again, uh, that's just the beginning of the equation. Okay? Just the beginning. You walk in a continual place of, Lord, I want to confess sin. Now, I have talked with people from time to time over the years who, uh, I don't know what denominational background they've come from or whatever, but there are sometimes people that say, well, there's something that I forgot to confess. I hope God's not mad at me. And they live in shame or they live in condemnation, okay? Or they live in this performance mode that God's always up there checking off blanks, okay? Folks, it says in the Bible, these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. And you're in Christ as a born-again believer. It's an ongoing reality. Okay? You're not getting a check mark each day. Do you get to go to heaven or do you not? Okay? Do we confess sin? Yeah. If you're married, you better be confessing your sin. Because your spouse knows what it is. And maybe you ought to acknowledge what that other person already knows. Okay? So confession of sin is just part of the Christian life. Okay, it's part of keeping relationships current, okay, and connected and real in the home. And it's also part of your walk with a holy God. Okay, next blank there. We have faith in God, yet we walk in the fear of the Lord. Okay, that's what Proverbs 1, 7 says. And the last one there is Christ's finished work on Calvary is all we need. We can't add anything to what Christ has done, okay? It's done. It's sealed. You're in Christ if you know him. If you don't know him, I would encourage you today to pray a simple prayer of faith. Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. If you're spiritually lethargic, if you're neglecting scripture, if you're not praying, if you're running on a fast track in life and you don't, you're going so fast you hardly know what day it is, I would encourage you to slow down. Okay? We need an encounter with Jesus. God's doing something in Kelsey Grammar, I believe. God's doing something at Asbury. One of our prayer partners this morning mentioned that it has now spread to Tennessee. And literally people are coming from other states and other countries to see what's going on. And the same thing happened in Toronto when I was there back in the 80s. People were coming from all over the world. How ridiculous. Why would you do that? Because when God is doing something, you want to be close to it. You want to experience it yourself. You want to experience the joy of the Lord. You want a supernatural touch from God because it's the only thing that's going to sustain you in these days that we live in. Would you pray with me, please?